Welcome to Cat Talk Radio with your host, Molly DeVos. Molly is a cat expert and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her expertise and her guests, you'll learn how to interpret and control behavior issues with your cat, how to entertain and converse with them, and keep up on the latest feline news around the world. Now, here is Molly DeVos. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cat Talk Radio. I'm your host, Molly DeVos. And today's podcast is called The Good, The Bad, and The Snuggly. We're going to talk about what factors contribute to your cat's personality. But before we jump into that, I want to give a warm welcome to my handsome husband, Dewey Vaughn. Say hi, Dewey. Hey. Hi, my beautiful love, and hello to all you great big cat fans out there in the great big cat world. <laughs> So this topic is pretty interesting. Kind of sounds like a western. The good, <laughs> it does. The bad it's and the to. snuggly. The good. Where's now the we got to have some Clint Eastwood music in the background. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I haven't really thought about what makes up a cat's personality before. That title pretty much sums it up, though. The good, the bad, and the snuggly. I think we can see that in Pico always. He's not bad. <laughs> He's just rotten. <laughs> yeah, well, when he knocked down all my stuff the other day, I was thinking that's pretty bad. I heard that in there, big old crash, and then Pico. <laughs> yeah, that, where was my whip then? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's so much more personality between just my cat's good or my cat's bad or I have a snuggly cat you know and and science is trying to prove all of that you know they they really go out of the way to prove that cats are individuals and it's pretty hysterical actually because they conduct these studies in the same manner that they do dogs because dogs really want to please people, they're very eager to participate in studies. But what they forget is that cats, you know, when they just don't want to participate, they just get up and walk away. And so they'll they'll get like 900 cats was one that I read in a study. And, and like over half of them just decided, nah. I don't want to do that anymore and wouldn't participate in whatever it was they were trying to get them to do. So they they get very frustrated with that. Um, But there was a study in 2020 that actually particularly sought to understand the factors that contribute to a cat's temperament. And they did an extensive review of like all the studies that had happened in the 30 years prior. And they came up with eight interesting factors that make up a cat's personality. Wow. You know, why is it important for us to really know what makes up a cat's personality? I think a lot of these factors we can't really control, like breed or genetics and things like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and, uh, But there's a lot that we can control. You know, there was another study, I cite studies all the time because I do a lot of research on on cat behavior, but there was another study in the UK that shows that 38% of owners give up their cats due to behavior issues, and 44% of those were aggression. And cats that are fearful 
or anxious, you know, may become prone to stress-related behavior issues like urinating outside the litter box. And, you know, and the personality of a cat can impact their health. Fearful cats have lower immune function, and that can lead to all kinds of illnesses, you know, commonly a upper respiratory infection. So it, it is important to understand. So what types of things make up a cat's personality? I'm guessing we could start with the breed. That'd be a great place, right? Yeah. Talk about the breed first? Yep. That's that's a good place to start, and it is one of the eight, eight factors in that study I referred to. And while some of the breeds do have common personality traits, like a, another study published in the Journal of Veterinary Behavior um, went into great, great depths about it. It's it's often bantered in the behavior specialists groups, but they found that uh, Bengals are, of course, the most active, as you would presume. If you've ever owned a Bengal or a Bengal mix, you know that's probably true. And interestingly enough, Persians are less active. I think they just like to lay around and look like divas, right? (laughs) (laughs) They're the least active. And also, for problem behaviors, they found Bengals to be the most likely to have inappropriate elimination, you know, marking their territory, not using the litter box. And, you know, if you think about it, if, if that's because they have a lot of that more wildcat gene in them, then that makes sense because they're probably even more intensely territorial than, you know, just a normal domestic short hair cat. So, so yeah, breed, breed plays a, a good foundational start to your cat's personality if you have a purebred cat. However, I would say the vast majority of cats out there are you know, mutts, cat mutts, which is called a DSH. You may have seen that on your vet chart. Your cat breed is DSH. That means domestic short hair or DLH, domestic long hair. And they have domestic medium hair, whatever, whatever the hair's doing. So, <laughs> anyway, so there's a lot more cats. Well, breed does have that. And, you know, if you're curious about your cat's breed, they do have like a, a DNA thing. Base Paws is doing a very cool DNA thing. We're going to interview them in a couple weeks on Cat Talk Radio where they um, you do like a saliva cheek swab of your cat and you send it in and they'll send you back this intensive report on your cat's genetics. I'm going to do it on Pico and we're going to talk to them on Cat Talk Radio. So, yep. Good yeah, place to start. I wonder if that's anything like what I did, the 23andMe thing, yeah. where it really goes into some real details about, I just got a new report from them that they said, you know, going back 3,000 years or something where we come out of East Africa or something, it was just incredible. I guess the lineage is, goes back some time. Mm-hmm, and they said you were from Mars, right? Uh, you know what? That was the one thing that it went down to is Mars Bar. <laughs> so what percentage would you say breed contributes to each personality? Well, it's hard to say, but but I, I actually like to not use breed as one of the traits. I, I have five traits that I think are five categories of, of things or buckets or pies or whatever you want to call it that makes up the cat's personality. And I really like to call it genetics. And so 30% of a cat's personality, I think, can be attributed to to genetics. Um, 
So, for instance, you know, one study showed that kittens inherit their social ability and boldness from their fathers. Well, if you Mm. think about it, and you have a litter of kittens with different fathers, and yes, that happens. They can have different fathers in one litter. You could get a really shy and a really bold kitten out of the same litter, and you might think, God, these two cats act like they're, you know, not the same. And it could be because they have two different fathers. But in general... If your cat's the offspring of feral parents, they're much less likely to be socialized to humans, and they might always be a little jumpy or, you know, anxious. And, and of course, this depends on the age, because if we get feral kittens really young, we can generally socialize them. Um, But, you know, this is also, I, I like to call this genetic remembering. So if a kitten was born to outside cats who were once owned then it's much more likely to be socialized than a kitten born to truly feral parents. So both breed and socialization history of the parents make up about 30% of a cat's personality. Wow. And, you know, I've heard you say this in the past, but what about color? You've always said that orange cats are more friendly. Is there science to prove any association between color and behavior? Well, this is called, this falls into a bucket called phenotypes, and this is one of the eight in that study, but phenotypes means their physical characteristic, and and color does fall into that category. And the study really didn't explain how this affects cats. It only said that it's plausible and it might apply to cats, and they pointed to what they called the domestication syndrome in a species, where, and what that is is where physical changes occur as animals become tamer or more socialized over generations. And so, for instance, they bred silver foxes for friendliness towards humans. And in a pretty short time, about 15 to 20 generations, the foxes actually began to change color in their coat pattern and their ears got more floppy and curly tails and shorter tails and shorter legs and under or over bites. Very interesting physical characteristics changed. But there's also other published studies that say owners agree with me and are more likely to describe orange cats as friendly, tricolored cats as intolerant. That's, you know, we call torty colored tortitude. Um, so there might tortitude. be something to that. <laughs> and and white cats as aloof. But, you know, in, in the study I quoted earlier, they found cats had increased that orange cats in particular had increased prey instincts so they were better hunters and and that was independent of breed this was that study that did you know the breeds and all the breed personalities so orange and red cats in multiple breeds were much better hunters they had a much stronger prey drive than the others and that might have to do with the cats representing, you know, orange cats represent a larger percentage of the population in rural environments where feral or semi-feral cats, you know, subsist on small prey. So that may be where that comes from. Who knows? But bottom line is I'm reading a lot of contrasting data when it comes to color. And while I always do say orange and red cats are the most friendly, I don't really think there's any valid science to back that up. So I don't include that in one of my five. 
Okay, so we're not going to include color as one of the behavior contributing factors. Okay. No, no, but the next one, <laughs> no color, but the next one is nutrition. And this is one that was not in the study of eight, but I put in mind because science has proven that that cats can detect the perfect balance of protein to fat ratio that they need in their diet. And they actually gravitate towards it. They did a study and they presented three bowls of food at each meal. And this was a study cats could get into because they like to eat. And so one of the bowls was way off balance, but it was chicken flavor. Another bowl was off balance and it was fish flavor. And then there was a third bowl of food that was the perfect balance of fat and protein, but it was citrus flavored. And cats hate citrus. Matter of fact, we say to use citrus peels out in your yard to repel feral cats crossing your yard. They don't like the smell of citrus. Well, what they found was that the cats ate the chicken and fish flavors first for a few meals, but then they started choosing the citrus more balanced meal and continued eating that. And and then they forego the others. And, and so that's you know, that was really saying a lot. So if you're feeding your cat dry food, it's it's not properly running as a optimal running machine, their body, you know. It'd be like us sitting around and eating potato chips all day long. You know, we'd love it, but eventually our energy levels are going to drop and we're going to start to feel poorly because we don't have good nutrition. And that's the same with cats. You know, you feed them right and they'll behave better. Wow. You know, and you always say feeding multiple meals a day. I mean, you talk about that quite a bit. We feed Pico five meals a day. Is that a contributing factor in any way? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, yes, that would be a factor. I'd bulk it under the nutrition component, but if you were feeding them the right food, not often enough, then you might still, this might still be contributing to bad personality. Let's just call it that, or bad behaviors. Um, And the reason is because cats in the wild will eat 10 to 20 small meals a day. So if we only, if we feed our cat only two times a day, that's like us eating every second or third day. So if you're not feeding your cat often enough, the cat's hungry in between meals and that can cause agitation and feelings of insecurity, which might result in aggressive behaviors, for instance, and like cat-to-cat aggression or even cat-to-people aggression. And it really affects their personality if they're not feeling, you know, satiated and relaxed and healthy. It really does affect their personalities. Yeah, I could lose some weight only eating every two or three <laughs> days. What's another contributing Yeah, yeah, fat, cat fasting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not, yeah, it's a way to think about it. If you only feed your cat twice a day, it, yeah. it's... It's involuntary cat fasting, and it's it's not good for their psyche. Yeah, so what are some other contributing factors? Well, just like with humans, environment is a huge factor in a cat's personality. You know, if the environment doesn't contain the enrichment that the cats need, then they're going to develop behavior problems. Give us some examples of that. Well, for instance, um, cats have to scratch. It's an inherent behavior. It's what they do to mark territory, get a big back stretch, keep their nails trimmed. And so if you're not providing 
outlets in the environment for that natural behavior, well, then they're going to rip up your sofa. And they might rip up your sofa when they're hungry, too, by the way, because they noticed it gets your attention. So be careful what you pay attention to, but that's a whole nother episode. And litter box is another good example. If you don't have the right number of litter boxes, like if you have multiple cats, you need to have one more litter box than numbers of cats. Um, they got to be really clean. If you're not keeping the boxes clean or you don't have the right texture of litter, you know, they like sandy. They don't really like those pellets things. And uncovered. You know, it's real important to keep your little litter boxes uncovered because otherwise, if, especially in a multi-cat household, because cat goes in, does his business, feeling kind of vulnerable while he's doing his business, and he can't see around, can't see what's coming on three sides. So he feels very, very uncomfortable in a covered litter box. And in a multi-cat household, and the other cat, if you have a bully cat, they might be waiting outside to, to ambush them. So... And if you're not prey playing with your cat, that would be another good example. Um, Then you're not burning off a lot of that pent-up energy because in the wild, they're going to spend six hours a day hunting. So when we keep them indoors, they don't get that opportunity. So we have to be responsible for moving toys like prey, usually with the wand toy, you know, clicker training, food puzzles, anything to relieve that pent-up energy and boredom. Does the environment affect a cat's affection or snuggliness? That makes, I mean, I'm thinking about that. <laughs> just like going, okay, well, maybe. Well, not not in those things I just gave as an example, no. But if you think about your interaction with the cat as being included under that environmental umbrella, right? So some cat parents send mixed messages to their cat. You know, they want the cat to sit on the lap. They're like, I want a lap cat. But when they're at their computer, they're shooing them away. You know, and they want the cat to engage in conversation, but not while they're on the phone. And cats don't understand the nuances of when it's the right time or bad time for those kinds of interactions. So if they get rejection from you, they remember it. And they likely won't seek out your affection anymore. Mm. So... You really should be consistent in the amount of interaction, you know, you want from your cat. If you want a really chatty cat, then engage them in conversations and understand that that cat's not going to know limitations of that. It's going to be chatty with you all the time. And if you want a lap cat, then don't ever put them down or don't ever discourage them or block them from getting on your lap because they're not going to know that, you know, this isn't a good time. So would things like food puzzles or problem-solving toys be included in such environment? Actually, I consider that a separate category because I think it's so important. And, and I like to call that category neurological activity or mental stimulation. Because you can have the perfect environment in terms of, you know, indulging some of the natural behaviors like scratching and appropriate litter boxes. But if the cat isn't getting enough mental stimulation, then it's probably bored. And bored cats lead to frustrated cats. And that's when I get calls with people telling me that their cat's bratty or doing bad things seemingly on purpose because they really know how to get our attention and push our buttons. (laughs) So, 
<laughs> you know, I did. I answered some questions for a guy that was writing a blog on um, do cats have a conscious and. Um, and it was very interesting answering that question for him. And I, basically, I said, you know, not not by the technical definition of the word consciousness, which is, you know, self awareness, basically. And I think that's on a level that that cats can't really get to. But boy, are they masters of cause and effect. You know, they know. I go lay on the bottom of that catch and couch and rip up the front of it, and mom comes running over to me. Huh, I know how to get her to come over to me. And, you know, they just, they really, really, really know how to exhibit attention-seeking behaviors with perfection. <laughs> <laughs> what else shapes a cat's personality? Well, a real important thing is what we call the sensitive development period. So it's really between three and seven weeks. However, that other study expanded that to two to 14 weeks or two to 17 weeks, I think. And actually, you know, some people say it's as much as 14 weeks. But basically what that means is it, it's a narrow window. And, and in that window when they're tiny kittens, what they're exposed to they're comfortable with when they grow up and what they're not exposed to they're scared of so like if you have a a kitten being raised it's a solo kitten and it's in a foster home with a lady and nobody comes over to visit or you're in the middle of covid and you know you're it's just you and the kitten well then later in life when that kitten sees a man with a beard in a deep voice, it's going to be scared because it's never seen that before. So you want to take that into consideration, that that sensitive development period. Well, that's impossible age for most cat parents to contribute because they're usually adopting a cat no younger than eight weeks, right? Yeah, and that's true. And that's why, you know, when we adopted Pico, he had left his foster home. He was eight weeks old and gone in for surgery. And I was texted when he was in surgery saying, hey, it's a Tabasco lookalike. You know, are you still looking? And I said, well, maybe, you know, what? what's his backstory? Are we, is he a feral kitten or what? And I said, no, no, he was in a foster and uh, he was with a litter. So I knew he'd probably get along with other cats later in life. And they had dogs and they have all kinds of stuff. I think goats and horses. And I could tell lots of activity going on in this house. And um, and so I we adopted Pico because I was very comfortable. In fact, I said, no, I got to talk to the foster mom because I got to make sure that that he's raised in the right environment. And I was, she's, they're wonderful people. So, and, you know, here's a good example. We're dog sitting this week for my dad's um, corgi. And Pico acts like he's been around this corgi his whole life. He's like, yeah, well, no, you know, no hissing, no paw raising, nothing. I mean, they greet each other nose to nose and the dog licks Pico in the face and no reaction at all, you know? So, it is important if you adopt a new cat to ask where your cat came from. A lot of times shelters, you know, will have information. You'll know whether the cat came in as a stray, and unfortunately, there's really no information about it at that point. Or if the cat was surrendered by an owner, at least you know it was owned before it came into the shelter. But getting the backstory in that very young age of cats is, is important. 
Okay, so you've talked about a lot of stuff here. Let's recap just a little bit. You have five things that mainly contribute to the cat's personality. You've said breed and genetics is one. Nutrition is another. Sensitivity development period is one. The environment and mental stimulation. Uh, But I thought you said in the study there were eight items. Are you discounting some? Well, I, they included phenotypes, you know, which color falls under in the study. And I, I, I don't, I just really haven't seen enough research supporting that. So I don't count that really, you know, and they, and they had some other things, you know, that are not typically something we'd know about, like it's, you know, our cat's oxytocin receptor gene. You know, it predicts an uh, attachment in humans and dogs, and they say it may predict sociability in cats. And then there's stress measured by eye temperature. But, you know, how are you going to figure out what your cat's eye temperature is? So I didn't include things like that because, I mean, that's good and sciencey, but I don't really think it impacts us as cat owners. It's interesting, but... <laughs> Is not in the main categories. Well, this has been a very interesting topic today. As always, Molly, you did a lot of research here to come back, come up with this program. Uh, very interesting. So many factors we just can't control. We really got lucky with both Tabasco and Pico as a yeah. as, as a um, breed and all of those things that you talk about. So anyway, I'd like to invite our listeners to help support the work Molly does. She provides these resources for free, works many behavior cases for low-income families, and does just about anything she can to keep cats out of the shelter. So if you also care about the plight of shelter cats, consider sending a gratuity donation. It's very easy, super easy, in fact, Just go to Cat Behavior Solutions website, scroll down past the products to the bottom. There are donation amounts you can add to the cart before you check out. Yeah, don't don't (laughs) scroll down past the products. (laughs) Pick up some toys for your cat while you're there. We've got the best wand toy in the world. It's a big feathery crinkle paper thing that goes swish, swish, swish when you do it. And cats love it. And it's super long. So it's easy to make it go around tables and couches and stuff. And we got a new one toy. It's always good to have two that has a long strip of fleece on it. And uh, and that's also good, you know, to to play with cats. And that mental stimulation, which makes up such a big part of their personality. And there's catnip bags in there. And, I mean, these kick sacks... They're not like others that have filler in the middle and then some catnip. These are chock full of catnip. I have a bag of them in my cat consult bag, and I pulled them out to get something. And Pico jumped on them and started biting them and rolling around. It was pretty funny. I had to tell him, sorry, buddy, those aren't for you. (laughs) (laughs) We got great stuff in the store, whisker-friendly bowls, all kinds of cool stuff. So go check that out, too. And then, absolutely, as Dewey said, add a little to your order um, as a donation, because there's free shipping on orders of $49 or more. So if you're a little short of that, just go ahead and send us a little donation. Donation, because everything we do here is all volunteer. There's no salaries paid out of Cat Behavior Solutions. We're not getting paid to, 
to do these podcasts for you, and it costs us to be on the air. So help us out. This is, I think, good information to help people take better care of their cats and help people increase the bond between their cats. And we're going to keep doing it as long as shelter shelter euthanasia euthanasia is the number number one one cause cause of death death in cats. cats. Until next time, everybody, (laughs) keep calm and purr on. You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. Through this educational radio show, behavior consultations, seminars, and articles, Cat Behavior Solutions intercepts cat behavior problems in the home, reducing the number of cats who are surrendered to shelters. Make a donation at catbehaviorsolutions.com. That's catbehaviorsolutions.com. Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat. Toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend.